All right, let's pray together. Lord, we do love you for your first great love for us, and we are delighted to be in your presence and have the privilege of giving ourselves to you in united worship. We ask you now to um, unite our hearts around your word. Work in us by your spirit and draw us to yourself and make us more like Jesus. We thank you that your word is true and it is designed just for people like us who are weak and easily confused. And we pray these things with thanksgiving in Christ's name. A lottery ticket recently netted $658 million. Imagine, you were the winner. Did you know the uh, probability of um, having that ticket has been guesstimated to be 1 in 258 million? It's much more likely that a... Um, vending machine would fall over and kill you. No kidding. That's estimated at uh, one in uh, 112 million. And while we're thinking about probabilities, um, well, how likely is it that you'll become president? One in 10 million. Or that you will die because somebody murders you? One in 18,000, or that you will um, have a car accident. That guesstimate is one in 6,500. So I wonder, what would be the probability of you getting safely to the gas station where you buy a lottery ticket that's a winning ticket? Be very low. What would it be, Jonah? 101 over one, uh, 600 and one over um, 6,500 times one over 258 million? Something like that. <laughs> it's not very probable. Which is to say, people who study these things say that we have the uh, unique ability to dream up all kinds of magical outcomes when we're in difficulties. Which is also to say that everybody needs hope. Everybody needs hope. The Bible tells us that hope is to be found not in probabilities, but in a person. In a relationship with Christ. And so, for example, in Psalm uh, 45, we are told, Hope in God, for I will yet praise him, who is the help of my countenance and my God. And uh, over in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, we are told, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And over in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, we are told, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The passage of scripture that Ajalon just read for us is all about hope, our need for hope, our desire to be people of hope. 
Last week, we took a retrospective view to the past where David recounts how good God has been to him. And he burst forth in praise. You'll notice that 2 Samuel chapter 22 begins with, this is a song of David. This week, what we're looking at in these verses we just read, point us in the other direction, to the future. And there, what David does is he sees reason for hope because of God's growing kingdom. So how should we look at these verses? Uh, Ralph Davis has written a little commentary on 2 Samuel that I commend to you if you would like to find a good commentary on 2 Samuel. Um, and I'm borrowing his outline because it's the best one I could find. We're going to look at the certainty of the growth of God's kingdom and its attractive nature and finally the exclusivity of God's kingdom. It's certain, it's attractive, it's exclusive. And uh, after we've done that, then we'll ask ourselves, well, how might this get worked out in the week that's ahead? What we find in essence in these verses we just read is this idea, God's covenant promises give hope to those who trust him and they also threaten judgment on those who will not. The emphasis falls on the syllable of God's covenant promises give hope to those who trust him. Well, what do we mean when we say that this hope is certain? The growth of God's kingdom will most assuredly happen. Please look at your Bible. It's found for us in those opening verses, verses 1 to the beginning of 3, and then we really get focused on it in verse 5. You'll notice that David begins and he says, well, this is an oracle. Uh, the oracle of David. Uh, what do we mean by an oracle? That word oracle is found, oh, 300 plus times in the Old Testament, and the majority of the times that it's found, it has some reference to God speaking. And certainly the emphasis in these verses is on God speaking. Please notice. The oracle, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the man who was raised on high, and then... Verse 2, the Spirit of God speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of, God, the rock of Israel has said to me. Over and over again, there is reference to God giving David words to speak that are important words for us because they look to the future and what God is doing in our lives. This idea of an oracle is not unlike what we find in the lives of uh, Moses and um, Joshua, for example. They get to the end of their lives, and there's an oracle that they speak in which they're kind of summing up things, and they're underlining the important things. And so these opening verses, verses 1 to the beginning of 3, uh, get us going in the direction of 
What is really important as far as God is concerned? What's on the front burner of his mind? So now just skip down and look with me at verse 5. For does not my house stand with God? For he made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For will not he cause to prosper all my help and my desire? You'll notice in verse 5 that there are two rhetorical questions. At the beginning, he asks the question, doesn't my house stand with God? And then at the end, won't God cause my life to prosper? And the point is, David is saying most assuredly, God is going to advance his kingdom in the world. And you say, where is that? I don't see it here. All right. Verse 5 makes reference to God's Verse 5 makes reference to God's covenant, right? And that takes us back in our Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now you remember what happened back there. David comes to the prophet Nathan and he says, "You know, I really want to build God a house." And Nathan says, "Do whatever is on your mind, David." And then the Lord comes to Nathan and says, no, let's do what's on my mind. Would you please tell David that I don't want him to build me a house. I'm going to build David a house. And then we have this wonderful description of God's choice of David as his anointed king who will prosper the nation of Israel and help them to become the representatives of God in the world that he intends. So, just look in your Bible back at 2 Samuel chapter 7 and notice some of the ways in which we have these markings of God's concern and care for David. Uh, skip down to verse 9. I will make <clears throat> you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And uh, then over to verse 16. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. God is going to do something great in David's life that is going to bless the nation and have continuing blessing on the whole world. That's what's in view here. You say, you know, we have been through David's life. And it is marked by all kinds of misery and sin and blood and guts. How can this be? Because David has been chosen by God as the beginning point of what God is going to do around the world, down through history, and it gets itself worked out most fully in the person and the work of Jesus. So, again, flip over in your Bible to Luke chapter 1 and just look at the way in which the Lord tells Mary about the coming work of Jesus and what difference that's going to make. Luke chapter 1, we're down now to verse 30. The angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. For you found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great 
and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and, his, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Are those great words or what? God promises to David, and we see it fulfilled here in his word to Mary, God promises that the effect of Christ's person and work in the world will be an extension of God's kingdom. So we pray in the Lord's Prayer. May your kingdom come. And Jesus says, the gates of hell will not prevail against my purposes in the world. Now, that is a wonderful truth to ponder. What's it mean for your life personally where you struggle with sin you don't want anybody to know about? God is committed to making you like Jesus. He is extending his kingdom in the likes of people like you and me who are frail and fearful and easily confused. You say, well, what about my hardest relationships? What do you think the Lord is up to in those relationships? He's conforming you to the image of Christ, difficult as they may be, so that you trust him more fully. The kingdom of God, because of Christ, is on the advance in this world in which we live. And so we say, because of Jesus, God's advancing kingdom is certain in our world. That's the first thing. The second thing that is in these verses is the kingdom advance of God in the world is attractive. It's attractive. Now look with me at the end of verse 3 and all of verse 4. What do we read there? The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass grow to sprout from the earth. Over in chapter 8, verse 15, There's a specific statement that tells us that David's kingdom was marked by justice and the fear of the Lord. And what's the effect when rulers deal justly with those they serve and live under the fear of God? What happens? Well, there are three similes that are laid out here in verse 4. What's it like when there's a good ruler? What effect does he have? Well, please look. It's like the morning light. It's like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning. It's like rain that makes grass to sprout on the earth. 
Isn't that attractive? Don't you want to be led by that kind of ruler? Now, this is a sidebar comment, but it does seem as if it's worth, worth mentioning here. Over in Romans chapter 13, verse 4, we are told that political leaders are God's servants toward, for those over whom they're responsible. So the next time an election comes up and you're thinking about going to the polls, why not spend some time doing some research and praying at the beginning and saying, Lord, would you show me how to vote? Would you help me to vote for people that are just? And would you help me to vote for people that live in the fear of God? Seems like that would be an outworking of what's here. The advance of God's kingdom in our world, according to verses, the end of verse 3 and 4, marked by justice and the fear of God, is an attractive thing. But that's not all. The advance of God's kingdom in our world is uh, certain. Yeah, it's attractive. Yes, and it's one other thing. Exclusive. Did you notice verses 6 and 7? Back in 4, we know that a righteous ruler is like light, the dawning of light on a cloudless day. But look at the beginning of verse 6. The godless are like thorns. And back in verse 4, there's uh, this, this, uh, this freshness that comes when the rain descends on the grass. But what are those godless like? Again, verses 6 and 7. They produce pain. And then one other. In the kingdom of God that's advancing, there is a belonging. There's a place to belong. And what happens to those that will not live under God's covenant. Well, again, look at the end of verse 7. They'll be consumed. It's a very sobering thing. The Bible does not teach that every person that says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. The fact that you think you have a good heart does not necessarily qualify you for heaven. Jesus said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. And what's the will of the Father, Jesus said? That you believe in the Son. That you submit yourself to the Son. Turn over, would you please, to Matthew chapter 13. In verses 41 and 42. Whoops, wait a minute. In Matthew 13, 41 and 42, Jesus makes this statement. The Son of Man will send his angels. They will gather out his kingdom 
out of his kingdom all that causes sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The kingdom of God, its advance in our world is certain, it's attractive, and it's exclusive. It's for those who will trust in the Savior. Now, what do we do with something like this in terms of practicality? Of what value is this teaching about the kingdom of God and its advance? Well, we need to say to ourselves, when you're a follower of Jesus, then the kingdom of God is important to you. You live in light of the kingdom and in light of its priorities and its principles and its practices. So what might that look like for you in the week that's ahead? Let me make three suggestions. Uh, this week we had a trustees meeting and as a congregation, we are significantly behind in our budget. Significantly, not a little, big. Would you spend some time praying and ask the Lord, Lord, is there a way that I can contribute more to your kingdom work here at Covenant Church? I want to be keeping in step with Jesus. Here's another suggestion, practical thing you could do. Uh, tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, as Ajalon has already mentioned, we're having a meeting to ask what more can we do to serve Afghans who are being resettled in the United States. You might come to that meeting. Why do that? Because when you belong to Jesus, then you keep in step with Jesus. And Jesus says, have an eye on those who are outsiders, particularly refugees. And they're coming in by the plane load. And then one other point of application here. In a couple minutes, we're going to sing the well-known song, It Is Well With My Soul. And you say, why are we going to sing that? Uh, the Gettys have put together a plan so that we sing that song with con congregations all around the world on this Sunday. So we're going to join people, maybe across town, on the West Coast, who knows where, and sing it as well with my soul. Why do that? As a reminder for us to pray for the persecuted church. You know, there are millions of people around the world who belong to Jesus who are suffering greatly for their faith. And the rest of us who are not in that situation are reminded to pray for them. You want to keep in step with God's kingdom, advance? You want to walk with Jesus? Sing your best when it comes to it is well with my soul. And in the week that's ahead, pray for the persecuted church. And if you don't have enough information to know how to intelligently pray, uh, you can go online and look at Voice of the Martyrs. You'll get lots of information there. I recently heard about a uh, woman named Sophie Skall. Do you know anything about her? I didn't either. 
She lived in Germany during the rise of the Third Reich. And she and her brother and some other friends were part of resistance movement there. One of the things they did is they uh, produced literature and passed it out, encouraging others to stand against the godlessness and the injustice of the Nazi reign. On the same day, she and her brother were arrested and then convicted and then met death, met death under a guillotine. But Sophie was a Christian. And this is what she said as she thought about her place in the world and her relationship to God's kingdom. I will cling to the rope that God has thrown me in Christ Jesus even when my hands are so numb I can't feel it. I will cling to the rope God has thrown me in Christ Jesus even when my hands are so numb I can't feel it. I wonder, what's your commitment to the advance of Christ's kingdom in the world today? It's certain, it's attractive, it's exclusive. Lord, we ask you to bless your word to us. We pray that you would help us to love your kingdom and your coming to love its advance so that we give ourselves in sacrifice to you, wherever you call us. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.